It's time to stop going to meetings. We don't mean never go to another meeting, but instead simply choose to have the right conversation with the right people at the right time. It's time to stop the routine. It's time to stop having meetings for the sake of it. It's time to stop wasting time. I'm Helen Chapman. And I'm Amy Webb. The rest is over to you. Let's get going. So, Helen, have you seen the news today? Do you know what? I haven't. You haven't. Actually. So tell me, what have you seen? I've been generally avoiding the news, but looking at just the COVID-related stuff because I feel like it's a bit overwhelming. But today was interesting um, article. So I've got it up. I'm going to read the headline. So almost all of 50 of the UK's biggest employers do not plan to bring staff back to the office full time. Okay. So they've done a survey. 43 of the firms said that they would embrace a mix of home and office working with staff at home for two or three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made me think about us. It made me think about the last year that we've all had with COVID, mm. um, how people have been thrown into working from home when they're not used to it, how we've all been thrown into virtual meetings. There's also a quote, um, which I think you would be particularly interested in. So um, it's from Andrew Monk, who... Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Where's it gone? Sorry, I just had it. It was about... Oh, I've lost it. I'm on the live uh, news page. That's my problem. Anyway, there was a quote from someone who works for the NHS and he said that, from his point of view, the people who are pushing for people to get back in the office full-time are managers who like to micromanage and they like to look over people's shoulders. They like to make sure people are doing their job because they don't trust their staff to do their job, which I thought was a very interesting point of view. So I'm kind of bringing that in light of what we're going to talk about today, which is virtual meetings. Yes. Um, And I think it's really interesting that we're at a position where we're looking forward past COVID to a world where people will be engaging in virtual meetings for the, you know, for for the future now. Yes. Not just as a necessity. Yeah. Or Amy, I mean, can you remember, you know, we're all going to be doing the, can you remember over the last 12 months and, you know, everything that this global pandemic did to us, but we actually looked at each other and said, oh my goodness, you know, our business is built on being in the room, Mm -hmm. with people, doing our facilitation, what are we going to do? Will this be the end of our organisation? And we had some very fast decisions to make. And and the truth is, I think, that not just us, but organisations globally had been, up until a year ago, had been meaning to get better at virtual meetings for the longest time. I think it was something that we all knew we ought to do, all know that knew that we needed to do, but there was a, ner- a nervousness about how to do it well, plus an overwhelming desire to be in a physical space with people, yes. of course. I mean, we are, as human beings, we are hardwired to get, this is going to sound a bit weird, but we we are genetically wired to get our DNA into the next generation. Yes. That's what we're programmed to do. You're speaking and You're speaking to a pregnant person. I, I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but you know we can't do that through a screen well not yet no um, so we are predisposed to want to be in each other's company and mm-hmm. of course there are so many benefits of that but this idea of working virtually was something that we'd been meaning to do for the longest time um, and then and now 12 months ago mm. we were absolutely forced to do or you know not not survive yeah and what that made us do is is look at how do we do this well and over the year and you know if if we if we think about what the article that you've read in today's news about the next 6 12 months 18 months mm-hmm. 5 years but this 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 period of not only have we had to pivot into working online working virtually but we've also done a lot of learning so i think there's mm. been a lot of articles hasn't there we've we've had articles from um microsoft mm-hmm. for example they worked out that um the although the future is unknown in terms of how specifically we might be working remote working is here to stay yeah and the challenges that it brings includes things that we know like um increased focus on screen time yeah um increased stress you know as humans it's not as easy for us to pick up on nonverbal clues yeah um we it we it we never can work out whose next turn it is to speak. <laughs> That's why you get people doing this. I meetings. hate that hands <laughs> up. I mean, I'm sorry for teams and others. I I I value you all dearly. But as a facilitator, I really hate that hands up feature mm. because it makes you feel some, like you're in school. <laughs> it makes you feel like you're in school, but also when you're trying to track an a a conversation it's really hard to know who put the hand up first and and by the time you get around to the hands up the moments passed and but but also other things that um y- there is an innate human condition where we're able to read the room you know if we're yes. in a physical space with each other we sort of check out the chemistry and we check out the shape of each other's heads you know it's like how are we feel how are we feeling being in this physical space and that's difficult in in yeah. virtual terms um uh and and also this the idea of screen sharing you know we've gone with it for the past 12 months but it's quite difficult when somebody shares a screen mm-hmm. even though there's really cool stuff on there quite often the size of the screen share means that you can't really read it and it strains your eyes even more. And so yeah. Microsoft, have, and we'll, we'll put this into the show notes, it's a good article that calls out why it feels stressful. Yeah. And though we're learning and we are getting better at it and there are lots of things that we can do to really nail this, I think. Yeah. I think especially, you know, acknowledging what, everyone how have everyone's been having to live and work over the last year you know it's not okay that people have had to be doing working from home be in meetings and also have their kids at home from school for example that is not um it's not feasible for people so there's the the stresses and the challenges of virtual meetings themselves and then also what everyone's been having to deal with you know mentally practically as well which 
in theory, moving forward, virtual meetings won't be happening with people also having to homeschool children, being in lockdowns. And it's, yeah. I think, it being a choice for companies yeah. rather than it being forced on them, uh, I think will be quite empowering that they're choosing to work in this way, choosing to make it work for them and, and work out the best way to do it to give people a bit more of a work-life balance and all of those positives outside of the pandemic life, yeah, which we've kind yeah. of all come to associate with virtual meetings, the oh, the stress yeah. of the pandemic. That is such a good point. Mm. Uh, that is such a good point. I hadn't actually... So when you think of um, anchoring, so mm. one thought triggers another. So... Um, you know, the sound of a particular piece of music triggers... A and, smell and, or something. Uh, or a smell or something mm. creates a nice thought. And, and I hadn't actually considered the idea of associating online meetings with the stresses of dealing with a global pandemic and, yeah. and all of that. So I think there is, um, there is a pattern interrupt to create here where, to your point, which is we choose to do these things online mm -hmm. because actually... There are many efficiencies and uh, cost benefits. Yeah. You haven't got to fly people around the world. Exactly. Put them up in hotels. They haven't got to be away from their families for days yeah. at a time. There are loads yeah. of pros. Um, and it's just kind of looking for those and then mm -hmm. figuring out what we do about the cons. Yes. W one of the... This this whole thing about working online and, mm. and it made me smile because over the past few months, people have called out, you know, don't call it virtual. You know, the truth is that online meetings are real. They're not virtual. Mm. They actually exist. Yes. So and, and people have have called that out as a. A pet frustration over the past couple of months, which makes me smile. Um, but online meetings, the advice and the tips that are going around are really helpful. Mm -hmm. For example, people would say, um, turn your videos on. Yeah. Don't don't just go on mute. Um, uh, you know, and they are, they are really good and practical. Um, elements of advice that we're learning as we go. Yeah. Um, but I think that there, the advice that is sort of going around about how to do online meetings well, for me, is almost looking in the wrong place. Okay. Because I still facilitate meetings where a, a really well-intentioned team leader yeah. might welcome the team, the group, and say, thank you all for being here. And then typically we'll say, and I know it's not ideal. <laughs> you know, we've got to make the best of it. So even after 12 months plus of working online, mm. there is still a mindset, I think a deeply ingrained mindset, that online meetings are second best. Yeah. And I think that is where we need to start. So my sense is that, you know, with the advice and the tips about online meetings, which are all good, and we can go through yes. the practical things about how yeah. to do them well. 
the thing I'd like to offer here is I think we're looking in, we're beginning in the wrong place. Mm. We've got the wrong start point because if the mindset is they are second best, well, guess what? That mindset will drive behavior. Mm. Behavior will get a, a, a suboptimum outcome. We'll always feel as if we're in a second best environment yeah. and that won't get the best out of all of us. So the very first thing for me is switch that mindset. Yeah. Because experience for us, I know we've both shared this in the past 12 months, is that we some of those online meetings we're doing or mm. online meetings that our clients are doing without us now. Yes. Um, are fantastic. Yeah. I, my goodness, the agility and the resourcefulness that it's bringing forward in people. And brand new ways of working for teams. You, you know, yes. like we've we've worked with teams where they would traditionally have had an you know one annual meeting for a couple of days and that's the only time they touch base but well now because it's online they're able to spread that contact over several weeks or months and keep those points of contact yeah um and it's completely shifted how they work with each other as a team yeah which you couldn't do if you and you know they're global teams you've got people in asia and people in europe and people in america you couldn't do that yeah. If it wasn't online, you couldn't do it that regularly because getting everyone physically together yes. is such a, a big headache. So, And you know what that makes me remember is when our very first, and it, it was Ben actually that um, did this meeting, mm. and I'll forever, I will forever remember what he did as the, the icon and the beacon of, oh, this could be brilliant. Mm. And I'll tell this story for a time to come, I think. <laughs> but he was asked, the pandemic hit us. Yeah. Online, the online meeting was the only way to go. And he has, we've got a global client that Ben works with regularly that said, oh my goodness, we were about to bring everybody together from Asia, from the US, from Europe. We can't bring people together, but we've got to have the meeting and the client said to Ben, but the problem is, is to find a time zone mm. that we can all do it in so that, you know, the guys in the US don't be, have to be awake at three in the morning. People in Asia and Australia don't have to be, um, you know, staying up, you know, because people's welfare yes. and well-being is just so important and sleep is an important part of that. Yeah. How do we do it? Um, and Ben did the most amazing thing, which was said, okay, let's take a different mindset, which is we can do this. We just yeah. need to find out how. And what he did with the client was he created a meeting where, if you think about um, global time, yes, the guys and girls in, in Asia, were, Asia were waking up first. And so what they would do is work on a particular topic for this global team they'd start the work mm -hmm. and then as time zone opened up across the rest of the world the topic got passed a bit like a baton in a relay wow. race across the time zone so that people as they were waking up and coming to work were adding to it yeah and there was a point at the middle of the day if, if you like in in europe central yeah. europe where 
it wasn't too late for Asia and it wasn't too early for the US where everybody, it was a small window, maybe of an hour, 90 minutes. Yeah. The whole team could come together, but then would continue the baton pass as Asia went to sleep. And yeah. it was genius. And I mean, I've got goosebumps now remembering that. And you talk about innovation and necessity driving innovation. Mm-hmm. That was the point at which for our organization, we thought we can do this. And ever since then, we have continued to work, you know, not just us and other organizations as well, to think creatively and innovatively. Yeah. So so this goes beyond the sage advice. And the advice is good about all put your cameras on and all have the audio. And That's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, though, isn't it? There's so it's much sort of like it. the... It's sort of like the, yeah, yeah, we know that now. Yeah. We know we know not to have, where possible, don't have anybody in a uh, an online call for any longer than three hours. I mean, keep the meeting short. We, yeah. we, we, we get this stuff now. That's almost a given. It's the stuff on top of that, the creativity on top of that, that really yeah. brings the potential of online working to life. And that's what excites us, yeah. I know. Yeah. And the ability to make it personal to what that organisation needs for that meeting at that time. Yes. Using the tools we've got available to us flexibly. Because mm-hmm. there are so many tools that we can use. Yes. Um, you know, like uh, Miro we use. We use that in so many different ways for different clients. And it's just amazing to see how you can really make a personalised uh, experience based on mm-hmm. what the client needs. Yes, I agree. I made, um, I made a list. I just did a quick, a quick list mm-hmm. before we got onto this call of all the stuff that's out there to use. And this is not, I mean, this is a tiny, <laughs> whether it's Zoom, mm-hmm. Teams, Skype, Miro, Mural, Mentimeter, yeah. And more and more and more. The tools and the technology are, again, necessity drives yeah. invention. They're coming at us thick and fast. There's going to be more, isn't there? There's going to be ah. more innovation coming. Yes. Now, here's another thing about an angle for us here is, and even though those tools are brilliant, mm-hmm. I think people are looking in the wrong place when they're using them. So, for example, I spoke with a lady just last week um, who said to me that they are using Teams really well, which is good. And I think there's a function on Teams to be able to, you know, add information. Obviously, there's a chat function, but I think there's like a way of using Teams in an interactive way. Um, But predominantly what they're doing is using Teams, but showing PowerPoint Ah. So, so the base of the meetings that they're doing, which they're enjoying and th- yes. th- they think they're doing well, yeah. which is good, is a PowerPoint deck will be created by somebody. Yeah, will be shown on Teams, and people will share their screens. Um, and then you can add and annotate and put comments in the chat and and all of that. So there's a there is a layer of interaction. Interac- interaction. Yeah. The problem for me is, to your point earlier, is because there are now more opportunities for people to meet because we can do bite-sized sessions more frequently, 
is if, t if for example, in this instance, uh, PowerPoint is used each time mm. and the same process is used each time, then the fatigue that we all feel by looking into a screen is exacerbated, I think, because yes. you also on top of that get process fatigue. Yeah. And the, the example that I would give in a non-meeting sense is if you think about playing a keyboard. Yeah. Which I know you can do you you think keyboard or is it no, the guitar my, for you no my I, I used to play piano I used to play a bit of guitar and then I married a musician who's like stinkingly talented at everything and it makes you feel a little bit inferior so now I just sing while he plays <laughs> well in that case you know exactly you know exactly yes. what I'm talking yeah. about here which is if you sat down at a keyboard or you stepped up to a microphone to sing mm. And all you did on the keyboard was hit middle C. Yeah. Or all you did when you were singing was la, 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 la. Yeah. It becomes very boring very quickly. Yes. And it's like for what, me... It's like what a toddler does when they're given a musical instrument. Exactly. And they are the fundamentals of learning mm. to play. But if that's all you ever stick to, and the using PowerPoint and showing it through, through uh, Teams or Zoom is all you ever do... Mm -hmm fatigue of being on those calls will you know so so advice from us to all of our listeners is stop repeating yeah. the process learn to play a bit of jazz yeah mix it up it it, it will take you out of your comfort zone yeah you will be forced to learn something new but that's all right we've been forced to learn stuff you know we've survived don't get stuck in a groove now. Improvise. Yeah. yeah. Helen, do you think this is... Um, do you think these habits have been formed because people have been forced into this way of working and they've just taken what they were doing in person in a meeting room and tried to translate it onto an online space and potentially what they were doing in the meeting room was already um, habitual and samey and just, you know, this is just what we do. And then they've just essentially picked it up and moved it onto their computers. Um, because, again, and I, I, I think we, you know, we've got empathy for everyone. We've all lived through this very stressful year. And it's not a criticism because, as you say, overnight, people were like, go home. We're not in the office anymore. We're going to have it all online. So people have had to just go, OK, we've got to do what we do there, but online. And now it kind of feels like a time to pause reflect and then go okay we can't just keep on as you say sharing powerpoints do you think it's those hab yeah. those those old it's like the old habits die hard thing i think that is a really wise i think it's a really smart observation mm -hmm. and and my answer is maybe and and i think that through through any period of instability as human beings, we look for the thing that we know, don't mm. we? We look for the st stability out of chaos. Yeah. And so in some ways you might be right, picking up what we were already doing and importing it into the it online feels world. Feels safe. Feels safe and it's the thing we know to do. But what it brings, your question brings for me is <laughs> how I feel about using PowerPoint in in-person meetings mm. or anywhere because... It, it harks into a world of 
where people would bring people into a meet in-person meeting space. And to your earlier point is sometimes they'll have travelled thousands of miles to get there. They're jet lagged. <laughs> to be treated like an audience when they get yeah. into the... So why do that? Why present at people when actually you've got some assembled brains mm. either in the in-person environment or um, in, in the on online environment? Use the brains. And if sharing PowerPoint is helpful to set up a conversation, go for it. Yeah. But don't think that it's the only way. And please don't, don't assemble people around a screen or in a meeting room to treat them as a, an audience, get full participation. Yeah. And you, and, and expand that repertoire. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there are times where like a bit of a show and tell are necessary, you, you know, to impart information, but it's when it, it's when the whole meeting is show and tell. That's yes. the problem. So would you have maybe a, like a rough rule of thumb for people if there, if there does need to be some information sharing percentage wise, you know, are we talking 30% of the time spent on that or, or less? Like, is it as, as little time as possible spent talking at people? What would your kind of rough rule of thumb be? Yes. Um, well, I'm going to say, <laughs> you'll love this, Amy. I'm going to say it all depends. Mm. <laughs> and... And it all depends on what it is that, um, let's use it in a meeting sense. It all yeah. depends what that meeting needs to achieve. And then if you think about a meeting being broken down into topic areas, sometimes you might have a topic that needs to have a bit more tell yeah. than another topic that needs to have a little bit more collaborative thinking. So I'm not going to give a rule of thumb mm -hmm. percentage. What I am going to say is be absolutely crystal clear about each individual topic on the agenda, what it needs to do. And if a topic is about informing, mm. then keep the tell in the actual session as a, a minimum. And the way to do that is to send information ahead of time that mm. people can read and then all you do in the session itself is bring out the summary of that and then create space for people to explore the topic yeah um the the other thing that the question brings for me is the way different different preferences right so some people really will benefit from going to a meeting where there is a lot of information shared mm -hmm. a lot of tell and then they like to go away and reflect and because that's their natural style. Yeah. Where others would like to come and have tell reduced. Yeah. Because they are much better at engaging in conversation and sharing information that way. So not only be careful about what you want for each topic, but really be cognizant of the assembled brains, the assembled people and what their preferred engagement style is. Yeah you're more likely to get a good outcome from each topic and therefore from the meeting if you've thought about the people themselves yeah, and how best to get, get the best out of them. Yeah. I mean, could it be as simple as, you know, we've got, for example, I'm going to share this information for 10 minutes, 
but just mentally saying to yourself at three different points, I'm going to stop and ask a question, for example. Nice, nice. yeah. So um, the the idea would be rather than go at it as a marathon, mm. do a series of short sprints, give a bit, pause, ask. Yeah. What do you need to tell or ask at this stage? And, and, and make those stage gates about getting clarity. Yeah. So do a series of short sprints, get clarity at the end of each sprint, which, by the way, if you're the information sharer, it gives you a chance to get a drink of water or yeah. to take a breath. And then at the end of those short sprints, then invite the conversation. I think that's a nice way to think about yeah. it. And that works. You know, we're talking about online meetings here, but clearly that works in in-person meetings, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. The other thing that your question brings for me about habits, so when you said, is it mm. because we've just ported in from the physic, you know, the face-to-face -face yeah. meeting space into, I actually think that people's comfort and confidence around using technology plays a massive part. Mm. So there are some people I know who don't want to turn their screen on or their video on because they feel very self-conscious being seen on a screen. And in their um, home environment, it's very, it can feel a bit invasive, can't it? It can. Um, and we know that we can turn on different backgrounds and so on, but people, in a way, people get a bit sta stage fright. Yeah. And that's a real thing. Um, and so it takes time for people to trust that it's okay to turn on the video and just to be who I am. And I'm maybe because I'm in my home environment, I'm not suited and booted like I might be in the office. And that's all right. We're all in it together. But just bear in mind that just because some people are happy to be seen through mm -hmm. a camera, it's not the same for all. Yeah. Same with audio. Um, and then having comfort with technology. So it might be people might feel that their edge of their capability is to show a PowerPoint and do yeah. a, sh a screen share because it feels a bit scary doing something else. Yeah. Um, and so we need to appreciate the human condition for learning and make things as accessible for as many yeah. as we possibly can, I think. I think that um, that confidence with tech is something that I've seen as a visualizer with TFP that that's that is um, a lot of the benefit that we bring when you've got someone whose sole role is to, to do the tech so for example when we're working on the Miro boards you can kind of see an evolution of people's confidence where the first meeting that I'm in with a team no one adds anything to the board because they're all a bit like oh it's a bit new don't know what to do and then the visualizers adding all the information and then by the time you've worked with that group for three or four times, they're all whizzing around. But it is it is that learning process and sometimes it is. And obviously not every meeting will have a facilitator and a visualiser in, but yeah. knowing that some people will have skills that other people don't and it's yeah. okay to utilise them and maybe just nominate someone to be the one kind of manning the tech, if you like, yeah. so that yes. other people can learn and feel confident and they're not yeah. put under that pressure straight away. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because I'm working with a team where 
the leader of that team is right now is feeling really exposed because mm. he naturally is quite a late adopter when it comes to technology. Okay. Um, and he's feeling that the team that he's working with are galloping away and are getting confident and it's creating a, 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 a gap and in his perception, quite a big gap. Okay between his team and him about how he engages with technology. And I think he's got by so far. But as he said to me the other day, I've got to get good at this because this is the way of the world going mm. forward. And I don't want to be left behind. Um, and so he he recognises that. But for, for many leaders in that situation, there's a, there's, um, a consideration about face yes. and about... Um, I don't want to lose face. Yeah. And and therefore I need to be vulnerable and I need to allow myself to learn and I need to make mistakes in front of people and it's got to be all right. Yeah. It is it is a huge thing I think especially um technology over my lifetime, right? So I'm in my mid 20s. Yeah. So if someone like yourself who's been in a career for 20 years, the technology within your working life, doing the same job, has drastically changed. When I was a child, we still had that dial-up internet and all you could do was, like, play solitaire on a computer and that's it. And now we're gathering people from all around the world, using all these interactive tools, and it is it, it is terrifying for some people. And I, I think that we if, we if we are confident using it, you can kind of not be very empathetic to that, but it's really important to remain um humble and you know see the person that actually this can be really scary for them everything they've ever done in their working life now is just like it's like the rug's been pulled out from underneath them and exactly emmy you'd laugh i remember when something a new technology came in called <laughs> called a mobile phone <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I and I hoped that this newfangled fad would go away as quickly Did as Did you it, really? Oh yes. <laughs> because at the time they were massive things. Yeah. You know, they were like, like a briefcase. A <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like a briefcase up to your ear and the battery pack was even bigger and Yeah. So there was the clunkiness of it. But I was thinking, ah, that you know, if I just if I look the other way, people will get over this phase and <laughs> It'll just go away really quickly and now I can't live without my mobile no. phone. So I no, remember, none of us can. <laughs> Exactly. I remember that feeling and I mm. think it's that is still real for many people when it comes to working with tech. Yeah. Um, a wise old facilitator um, by the name of John O'Keefe uh, that I admire very much for out, out beyond the box thinking mm -hmm. on that point that you've just made about the rug being pulled mm. said to me, um, Helen, if you ever feel like the rug gets pulled from under your feet... Well, you'd better learn to dance on a moving carpet <laughs> because being able to keep upright yeah. when the ground beneath you is moving in that way, that's the only way that you're not just only going to survive, but really thrive. Yeah. Um, and I think that point's valid, absolutely valid for now. Yeah. And that's what ev every business that's still standing yes. through this pandemic has had, has been forced to do that. But it's absolutely everyone's tired everyone is kind of shell-shocked and we're still kind of reeling from it. So yes. um, going back to your the first point you made, consciously moving forward with positivity from here is yes. 
really necessary because it's been for lots of people stressful traumatic negative year of work yes and then looking forward we need to be starting from a place of positivity and that and that for me um i'm feeling so my next layer of learning Mm. and for us as a business is about this next six months and the reason the reason it's causing me cause for oh a bit of concern Mm -hmm. is that we're going to move into hybrid situation where we've got some people who are in a meeting room and a chunk of people who are dialing in now that was happening before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and the technology you can beam people in but the reason that I'm I'm just drawing breath about it and I haven't quite worked out yet how we'll do this well is that the people in the room have got all of those cues of body language, read the room Mm. and so on, where people dialing in. So the hybrid is where we're going next. And that, I think, should be the subject of another podcast when we've figured out how to do it really well, because that's our next challenge. And that will be a big challenge. Yes, indeed. Um, Okay. So what would be your key message, your key takeaway for people listening to this who I have no doubt are participating in virtual meetings and have been for a while now yeah I'm really clear my key message is adjust your mindset if you are somebody who is thinking that working online is second best Mm -hmm. if you if your mindset is that your behavior and your results will come from that we can unlock a massive potential online. We can, we do, we are demonstrating yes, it. So shift the, shift the mindset. And then the second point um, is stop playing middle C when it comes to the process tools that you're using online. Improvise a bit, play a bit of jazz, stretch yourself about what might be possible. Think creatively, a bit like Ben did all of those months ago. Mm-hmm. And you'll be amazed at what you can make happen. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TFP underscore meetings. Or you can head over to our website, thefacilitationpartnership.com. <laughs>